there's probably there's probably some way of doing that. I think historically we've actually done that at holiday parties where we've had the Chuck just do loops just around. Just serving the hors d'oeuvres and, yep. you know, That's doing. exactly right. You, you haven't played with people who made it go too fast so they couldn't pick up the, the stuff? Uh, we, we do. Uh, we'll slow it down as it's going through the food lane. Yeah, so. So it'll go nice and slow. Beers are also a big thing for that. Yes, my, my wife would make it so that speed it up, speed it up. <laughs> you know, you, you need so you'd have to follow it to go get the food. Right, right. So, so, um, so what are you demoing right now in your booth? Talk about that. Yeah, so we've got, um, we're up this year for new innovation of the year. Um, it's our third time being nominated. The first time was uh, back in 2017 when we announced Chuck and the picking system. 2018, we got nominated for uh, providing a, a larger cloud-based solution. Uh, and then this year uh, for 20, we didn't get nominated in 2019, but 2020, uh, for wall-to-wall -wall fulfillment. So we actually have a full demo of automated tote load and unload onto the chuck, um, moving some of that indirect labor out from the periphery and putting them into the picking aisle so we get some more throughput. So we've got that going. We've got uh, batch picking, uh, singles unit picking, discrete order picking, to a, then a, the batch picking to a mobile sort. So we're doing a sort wall application we announced last year. And then uh, at the end is the pack out. So we've got somebody doing the packing there. and. That's one side of the booth. The other side of the booth, it's, got a, it's called a pick to win. So we've got a head-to-head -head contest where you can badge into your chuck and you can go see how fast you can pick. Right now, I think the record's about 720 units per hour right now is what we've got, and that's early this morning. So we're hoping to see you know, bigger numbers than that. Oh, nice, nice. The, um, the, your website, uh, Fergal did a wonderful job with that drone, you know, gi giving the picture of how the, the, the robots are helping go through the bins. And I sat there, and there's one there's one moment where there's two robotics going in opposite directions towards each other, and I sat there and said, "How do you make them not collide?" Right. Yeah, they they're programmed to uh, recognize other robots, and and they they don't know that the the chucks don't talk to each other. We call our robots Chuck. They don't talk to each other, but uh, they do recognize each other by the shape that they see in the vision systems and the lidar and that kind of thing. So there's a there's a proprietary kind of handshake that they go through in order to navigate uh, when they see each other in the same aisle. So. so that's a good segue. Can I get you to go through the slides, Ron, real quick? Keep going. More, 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 more. One more. There we go. So there's your beautiful face, young man. <laughs> so. So, uh, so that's a, that was a good leeway to what makes collaborative robotic automation different than standard automation. So yeah. take me through what collaborative. So I think it's in, it's in the words themselves. So uh, collaborative meaning that it's human safe, right? So the first thing we have to think about is how do we communicate safety to the per people that we're working next to? Um, our CTO, Chris Cassiopo, likes to describe it as, it's one thing to be safe, it's another thing to communicate, like to, to show that you're safe. So as an example, uh, you could take an autonomous vehicle like a car, a Tesla, driving 100 miles per hour down the highway, and it's generally very, very safe. But if you're standing by that car, it's driving 100 miles per past you, it doesn't feel as safe, right? So we have to communicate that we, sh that we are safe to those that are around us. The, ch the other challenge is that it's mobile. So uh, we have finite power. We have you know, all these things that were restricted in terms of the amount of battery space and everything else. So we have to be very, very efficient as to how we do safety and we, we figure out the movement. Um, but that is our number one priority, is to ensure that we're safe. Um, and then figuring out the technology pieces kind of come secondary after that. So. so you call them chucks. Yeah. Okay. 
and is there a Chuck one, a Chuck two, a Chuck? So we have we have different iterations and versions. Obviously, the the, the company was started in 2015. Um, so you know, pretty there's been effectively one model revision every year since then. So we actually announced last Thursday our latest revision. Uh, so it's kind of our fifth generation of Chuck that's out there now, and we were able to uh, double the capacity of, of the workspace, so we can now go to six levels, uh, and also increase the the payload capacity by about 50%, from about 160 pounds to roughly 200 uh, pounds. So, um, and, the, and if you ask, the word Chuck comes from the fact that we're a Boston-based company, uh, and the Charles River. If any of you have been in Boston, the Charles River is the the river that divides Cambridge from Boston. Three of the founders, there's three founders, two of us, uh, two of them went to school in Cambridge, I went to school in Boston, so the Charles River is a big deal for us. And of course, Chuck being a nickname for the Charles River. Okay, so, so that begs the question, there are five other rivers evidently, so explain Six River to me real quick. Yeah, so there are actually uh, six rivers that lead, um, that, that make the Charles River system. So the Charles River, which is the main river, is a six river system. It's like the Muddy, the Stony Bank, the Stony Brook, Stop River, uh, West Branch, and I think the Lower Muddy and the Charles. There you go. There's all six. So. Okay, so so hence the name. Yep. So so let's go back to the other side of the equation and the actual robots. And and how do you do the location with them? How do you yeah. identify where they are? So so there's localization. There's navigation. So of course, if you're familiar with technologies, the autonomous robots, they have to be able to figure out where they are before they can move. Um, the figuring out where they are is kind of this process that we go through where we build out a map using SLAM, which is a combination of LIDAR technology. LIDAR, you could think of it as like a light beam or a laser that projects out about 35 meters or 80 feet. So we use LIDAR to build out an obstacle map. Um, and uh, that map is then used by the Chuck to start navigating, or actually localizing itself. And once it's localized, it can start navigating. Uh, and uh, we use AMCL, which is kind of the runtime version of uh, SLAM for that. And we get information from what we see using the LiDAR, uh, as well as the odometry feedback from the motors, and we use what's called a, an IMU, which is kind of a digital gyroscope to confirm that the motion is actually the intended motion in the direction. What's really interesting is that we go through in that map, and we put a lot of effort into that map, so we paint out we actually literally use the application where we paint different colors on there that reflect different uh, attributes. So in part of the area of the warehouse, we are not allowed to go into, as an example, right? So things like racks are pretty static. We're not going to want to go drive into a rack, so we block those out. Uh, slow down and speed up areas, safety areas, like where we need to go beep, or we have a laser projection in front of the, the chuck to in indicate that we're coming up to a cross-section. All those things are built in, and that's part of our navigation stack, and we've got I would say, geez, about a dozen or so software engineers just working on improving that every single day. Okay, and and what connectivity are you using to get back to the central control? That's a great question. So we are a tiered, two-tiered system. So uh, it starts with the work being generated at the cloud. So we uh, have a cloud-based application. It's called the Fulfillment Automation System. It sits up on Google Cloud Services. Um, and we communicate, communicate over TCP IP and wireless to the robot. So the robot, every time it needs, uh, the robot, when it needs work, it requests work from the cloud system. It communicates directly over the internet, and then it gets a batch of work from, uh, from those cloud services. We use the standard Wi-Fi that's in your warehouse today. We don't ask you to put up proprietary networks or expensive uh, infrastructure. We'll use the exact same access points that you have what we've done is we've designed a system that's incredibly resilient to wireless outages in the warehouse themselves. So I'm sure some of you that run where, uh, warehouses, 
don't have perfect coverage for wireless. Uh, I'm sure your RF guns struggle sometimes, et cetera. The Chuck, once it gets its work, is completely autonomous. It does not need any sort of wireless connectivity whatsoever. If there is connectivity, it will relay information back up to our servers, but it is not required to complete the work. Okay, so, so let me take a step back and let's just talk about warehouses in general. Yeah. What's, what's your normal situation? You, the racks, do you go, can you help go high or are we just stationary at that? Yeah, so, the, so we operate in a whole different variety of warehouses. Um, we have a number of customers that just pick directly off of eight foot shelf, you know, gray shelving or pallet racking that they'll store pallets on or cases in that they'll convert to like case rack. We also have customers that use rack-supported mezzanine. So we have deployed out in a number of systems where there was rack-supported mezzanine, narrow aisles, something like 40-inch aisles, we do very, very well with. All we need there is a solid surface. We can't use any sort of grading or anything like that. But if you've got resin deck, steel deck, wood deck, totally fine to run the chucks on. And that will allow you to cube out the building very, very effectively. Some of you may actually have pick mods already in place where you've got multiple levels of rack-supported mezzanine that could drop in the system right there. So. Okay, now the the... The video I watched. Yeah. Okay. Um, humans follow behind. Is yes. that kind of typical of how it works? Yeah, so we designed the system that way. Uh, when we came up with the idea around my dining room table about five years ago, we started thinking about what is it that operators really need to do in their warehouses? And many of them just need to improve where they're at today, right? They may be using cart picking. Um, they don't necessarily need to go to a goods to person system that's incredibly expensive. They'd have to tear out all their infrastructure and start over. They just want to improve where they're at. So I kind of liken it to they're driving a Honda Civic today. It's reliable, it works well, but they know they could do better. Oftentimes, they don't need to upgrade that to a Ferrari, right? Upgrading to a Ferrari is expensive, and if you don't know how to drive it, it's really not going to be super useful to you. So what we did with Six Rivers, we designed a system that would get them to like Mustang or Corvette level speeds and at, at that price point. So effectively, what you're doing is you're getting 80% of the benefit of the Ferrari at 20% of the cost. And we did that by eliminating a lot of the walking, but also making sure that the associate was paced through their work. And the most obvious way of doing that is having the associate follow something that is autonomous and powered. So that is what's pacing them through their work. And it has the effect of essentially eliminating a lot of the, the training uptime, the training ramp up. If something is leading you to your pick location, it's showing you a picture of the item, it's telling you what side to pick off of, and when it's a hands-free scanner, and when you scan it, it lights up the right bin to put it to on the, on the robot. It makes it really, really easy. So we found out that we could actually train people within 15 minutes, and they'll actually be at about 85% productivity within 15 minutes. So that week or two of training that you had to have of these associates is eliminated and get these people up and running much faster. You stole me my next question, but let me, let me go this way. Is there a display on the on, on there the truck is. Yep. that basically tells what needs to be picked? Exactly. So think of it as like a big GPS display on your car, um, but uh, it will tell you where to go and how to get there, and effectively you're just following it to get there. And while you're walking to that location, it shows you a picture of the item, so you know that you're looking for the red shirt instead of the blue shorts by the time you get to the location. So you're mentally prepared. I'm going to be reaching in to the third level high um, because we give you the location ID and everything else. I'm reaching into the third level. I'm going to grab that blue, uh, the, the red sweater, and I'm going to scan it, and then I'll put it away. Now, we've done a lot of tricks to speed that up, too, things like cluster picking, some of you may be familiar with. There may be, we may group like orders together that have as many of that pick as possible onto the cart, something like smart cart building. 
So if we're grouping those orders together, I may reach into that bin once and grab four units of that rev sweater, scan once, and then put, put, put. So I'm not going back and forth to the location every single time. Just little things like that that are best practices uh, in a lot of warehouses that we've now implemented within our system. Okay, so so let me take a step further back, sure. okay? Because we, we've kind of jumped into how, how it works, but I got a simpler question, okay? Sure. So when did you start up again? Uh, we started in July of 2015. Okay, so you're sitting there July of 2015 at the dining room table. Yeah. We, we'll ignore the fact, uh, we'll come back maybe later to the co-founder, co-CEO, and how all that works out. Sure. And, and I'll ask you the simpler question. Was there a customer in hand or how did you talk to people to have them understand what you were doing? It's a great, great, great question. So, you know, I have been in the industry for a long time. I was with Kiva Systems, which was kind of the granddaddy of mobile robotics and warehousing, and, and led their commercial business for about a year and a half after the acquisition of, uh, by Amazon. It was acquired in 2012. But I was there for a number of years, and I sold these systems. Um, so I kind of knew what the economics needed to be. I knew that you had to get to at least 50% pick rate improvement. It had to be a one or two year payback to make it kind of an automatic decision for a lot of our customers. So we used that as the constraint. We said, let's engineer backwards from that, which meant that effectively I could in invest about $80,000 per picker to get a two year payback on a single shift. All right, fine, so now we do design and we tell our engineers, you have this amount of money per picker to go figure out how to solve this problem. Like, okay, that makes it easy. Um, and then uh, when we came up with the rough sketches, we said, okay, we think this will work. We've done the math on our spreadsheets. We don't, have a, we don't run a warehouse, so let's go talk to some folks. And we presented this idea to a handful of folks early on. And they said, you know what, if you come up with that, not only do I like that idea, I will sign up to be your pilot customer. So in 2015, we were busy building it. And by 2016, we had a line of customers waiting for us. We actually sold our first system within a year of starting the company, which was pretty cool to see that. And that adoption allowed us to get the feedback that we needed and perfect the system, which, you know, of course, it's going to take many years. But now we're deployed out in over 50 warehouses worldwide, and we've uh, supported over 100 million units of picking. So, so, so okay, we've got, the, we've got the customers. Now talk to me about the planning. When, when they say, okay, here's my warehouse, now what? Yeah. How do you do that? So we actually... Uh, we like going into dirty warehouses, as I call them, brownfield environments, where it's not a green field, it's not a brand new building. In fact, uh, of the 50 facilities that we've deployed out, that we're about to deploy out, um, only two of them have been greenfield designs. All of them have been retrofit of existing operations, and we really like that. So kind of our marching orders is that we want to be able to double the productivity with the exact same people, the exact same product, the exact same warehouse, and just get it up and running in about two weeks. Um, and that's part of the planning process. So we spend roughly about 120 hours of engineering time walking through your facility, going through your data, doing the analysis, and providing a business case to you uh, and demonstrating that we should be able to hit within a, a year or two of a payback, depending on the number of shifts that you're running. That engineering time, you know, we get layouts, we figure out where things need to be. Um, and then uh, from a contract to go live perspective, we're usually about three months. Um, so once you sign the contract, then uh, we do some integration work. So there's some integration work with the WMS, and that will take between two weeks and two months, depending on how busy your IT team is. Um, and then we get up and running. So we'll literally drop, get the integration done, test the integration before we even step foot in the building, ship out the equipment, which is pretty much just robots and chargers, and within five days, we can get you up and running and live and picking, which we've done. We did that about 18 times last year. We got implementations up and running in less than five days, which is pretty cool. Okay, so, so 
First of all, uh, I'm showing ignorance now. Just WS is warehouse system? Warehouse management systems, yes. Okay, right. okay so duh. And, and the next side of that is, besides the productivity gain of the human being, yep. what about on inventory management and that kind of stuff? Talk to me how you integrate. So uh, because it's a directed approach and a directed process, we've actually seen a couple of different areas of benefit. One of them is inventory accuracy and actually first pass yield for order picking. So two things here. Um, it's really important to pick the right items and put them in the right boxes. And when you have really large carts, when you're doing cart picking, it's easy to mix up the boxes and put the, the items in the wrong box. That happens a few times. Or sometimes you mispick. Those lead to fairly low first pass yield results. And what we've seen is we're traditionally about 40% better in terms of improving your accuracy on first pass yield. With respect to inventory, we can actually use our system on the system on the replenishment and put away side as well. So it's not just about picking stuff off the shelf and putting stuff on the shelf. And we guide you through that process and we'll see inventory accuracy improvements. Um, and that really results in better pick rates, right? The fewer exceptions you have on the inventory side, the more accurate, the faster your picking is happening. So the, the last benefit, sorry, is the, the training benefit itself. So generally speaking, on average, it takes about two weeks to train an associate. Within two weeks, they're at about 60 to 70% productivity. Um, we do it within 15 minutes. We'll actually hit within 85% productivity. So you get all those hours that you paid that person to get trained. You get that benefit back, and you get higher productivity earlier. Okay. And let's – a number of different places I want to go now. Let's, let's go with connectivity first. Sure. How many of your customers actually have the Wi-Fi functionality and the capability, and how many are suffering dead zones? Or they? Oh, yeah. Uh, every single warehouse has dead zones, every single one. I mean, I've yet to walk through a warehouse where there isn't a dead zone, and that's because you have this racking that's out there, and it's creating interference with all the wireless. In fact, today, uh, we were about to do our demo, and all of a sudden, the wireless just you know caused problems. The Chuck was pretty happy, but the wireless – we weren't able to get the work uh, down. So um, you know, that's something that uh, I would say the vast majority of our customers, we actually help them identify where there are issues uh, doing our surveys. Uh, and we can provide them recommendations. But oftentimes, we're pretty happy using what they've got there. So, so given the fact that you've got the layout okay, already, and you said you can go into dark zones and out, yep. if there's an outage, yep. Can you guys manage that functionality? We continue to run very happily. Once the work is on the chuck, it's fully autonomous. So it does not need connectivity whatsoever. Um, it will, like if there's a, if the aisle is blocked or whatever else, it understands through its navigation, hey, there's something in front of me. I can't get around it. And I got to back out and get around to the pick face another way where I've got to replan the entire thing, right? If it backs out, says it's trying to go down that path, all of a sudden, the entire pick path has to be redone. It will do that. It'll do that in two steps. There's called a local planner, which will help it understand what's happening immediately in front of it. And that local planner talks to the global planner, all resident on the chuck, says, okay, now that, that I've figured that out, what are the other things that I have to do to replan my pick path? And it does it, it, does it over 10 times a second. Um, so it's constantly thinking about its path plan and how to get there. So now the next layer for me. Yeah. Okay, so I've got... Um, your ability to manage with or without Wi-Fi. That's right. But you've got the Google Cloud up there. Yes. Your app. Is there an interface in between? What, what do you? How do you guys aggregate the data? Yep. So we are talking directly over. Uh, it's called TCP/IP or the Internet, public Internet, from the robot directly to our cloud services. So there's no intermediary in the middle. 
Um, so it is truly an IoT. Essentially, we are out there. Now, it's highly secure. It's encrypted. Good luck you know, trying to hack any of that stuff. Uh, but that traffic is out there. Um, it uses uh, JSON uh, uh, messaging type in order to mass send the messages uh, back and forth. Um, but every robot is independent of all the other robots that are out there. What's really exciting for us is that in our network, uh, as I said, we have over 50 facilities that are, that are signed up and about 40 plus are live at this point. Um, we actually have this concept of what's called a global, global manager. And every robot, when they boot up, reaches out over the internet and says, hey, where do I belong? And it talks to this manager, and the manager says, oh, you belong at this site, robot serial number XYZ. But what's really cool with that is that along with that information, it gets all the map information, all the uh, warehouse information sent to it directly from the internet, so it can then do its navigation. So provisioning and getting additional capacity up and running is very, very fast. Okay. Um, I'm going to show ignorance again. Sure. Okay. Um, how do I put this? Do you know what a Luddite is? A what? A Luddite. A Luddite, sure. Okay. So, so what about the workers? How do you convince them that the automation's good and not going to steal their jobs and that kind of stuff? Uh, that's a great question. So, um, you know, the word collaborative essentially means that you're working with people and, and by people. Uh, I, I, ca I can't say it better than one of the GMs of our buildings turns to their new hires and says, so long as the chuck is here, you're here, right? So they kind of flip it on their heads and they're saying, hey, th the chuck only does so much of the work. The, the people have to do the hard work, which is like grabbing the item, putting it in the chuck and, and moving through the work. Um, so it is highly collaborative and people actually really appreciate working with the system because it, has, it actually makes the work easier. If you can imagine working, being in a building eight hours a day, having to tr like drag an 800-pound cart, which is what some of our customers have to do. These associates are dragging 800-pound carts for eight hours a day. It leads to back strains and injuries and fatigue. In this system, there's none of that. It goes away, and they're simply walking behind at a pretty comfortable pace, walking behind the chuck. So they're just left with having to deal with grabbing the item and putting it in the right place. Makes the job a lot easier to learn. It's a lot safer to do. Okay, so, so what about forklifts and those kind of things yeah. and how you interact with them? That's where the navigation comes in. So that's where we understand that there are things that are in front of us that are big and dangerous. So there we kind of slow down. We kind of acknowledge that there's this big dangerous thing coming straight at us. We'll just pull off to the side. We're like, all right, this we call aisle side, aisle side bias. We'll just slightly go over to the side because this thing's coming at us. We're going to try to get around it. If it's so big that there's no room in the aisle, we'll just stop and try to park ourselves. Um, but oftentimes there is forklift traffic. We do use um, a lot of safety techniques where we slow down in intersections to ensure that either A, people are aware that we're coming through, or B, forklifts have a time to stop and slow down as well. So there's some things like that that we've learned. Big spotlights or lasers that we shine about two yards or two meters in front of the chuck. So if I'm coming out of an intersection, the, the forklift driver sees that, and they can slow down as well. So. Okay. So um, there's, this there's this little company called Amazon yeah. that makes a lot of noise about robotics. Sure. So, so number one, can you talk about the distinctions between your two viewpoints? Yeah. And, and, uh, and then number two, um, how do you guys, in effect, make it so it's easier for people to yeah. deliver in the same time? And you know, the, the real quick delivery. So, you know, um, 
It's a great lead into the second. So the the first part, our system is very different than the the Amazon systems. Um, they bought Kiva back in 2012. They use this goods to person system. So there they've got tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of robots picking up a shelf and bringing it to an operator, eliminating the walking. And you see a lot of those types of systems that are out here. Those are really expensive to put out, and they're not always super flexible with the existing environment, with the existing warehouse that you have. Um, so, you know, we designed Six River to be super flexible from the beginning, so you could run it in every warehouse, whereas those types of systems require a lot more kind of, you know, wiping out the warehouse and starting over. Um, with respect to, you know, now uh, we were acquired by Shopify back in September, and Shopify has asked us to help them build out an alternative to the Amazon Fulfillment Network um, and provide and work with partners, and we work very, very uh, closely with a lot of third-party logistics providers in this space. Many of them are our customers today. We've got over 15 3PLs as our customers today. And they are, Shopify, our parent, is asking us, can you help them provide more technology to make it easier for them to do the fulfillment and improve the productivity so that we can lower the cost of fulfillments for all of our merchants? Shopify is something like a million merchants using their platform today. And they are the largest provider of e-commerce capabilities outside of Amazon in the world. So it's pretty substantial to see something like that. Um, so we're happy to work with them and help reduce the cost of fulfillments and get more folks uh, involved in, from a 3PL perspective fulfilling Shopify orders. Okay, cool. I, I didn't get to that question, but now you, you're checking them off before I get to them. That's a good deal. Um, so next is... Um, is there any particular vertical market or any place that you guys sure. really focus? So we are we are currently just a each picking system fulfillment based operations. If you have small cases, that's great. If you're pallet based, not not a fit. So you know we are uh, primarily used in a lot of uh, as I said fulfillment, e-commerce, retail replenishment, apparel um, uh, product types, electronics, uh, industrial. Um, those are all areas that we do very well in. Things that you would normally see in a brown box being delivered to your door or to a store is, is kind of where we do well. Okay. And following up to that, I'm going to make the giant assumption that everything is stable, right? And like, you've never got a situation where your client has like stopped a product line and ha now the aisles are totally different than they were. So, you know, how, how would you manage it if they came to you and said, oh no, it's not that easy? So we have had plenty of environments where we phased things in. Um, we've started with like maybe one or two aisles or with Six River, and then we'll try to make room and we'll slowly make our way through the warehouse. We have other types of deployments where only certain types of orders are being picked with Six River, not all types of orders. So there's plenty of opportunity to kind of mix and match. We do kind of hesitate when it comes to using uh, manual carts versus the chucks because it does cause interference. Um, you know, the, we don't know about these manual carts very well, uh, so we do, it causes us to replan and those types of things, but beyond that, um, you know, we have phased it in into live operations without having to clear everything out and start over with robots, so. So how often do they actually come to you and say, oh, wait a minute, the bins are nowhere near where they used to be now, we've moved them over here. Yeah. How do you manage that? So we do, um, so moving bins around is totally fine within the system. Um, if they add new racking or if they change the layout of the warehouse, then we have to get involved and do some map work. Um, we actually, just two weeks ago, for the very first time, we've developed a set of tools that allows our customers um, to go map the warehouse on their own, and then we will update the information remotely and get them going again so we don't have to be on site to do that work anymore. Cool. 
are there questions from the audience before i keep going oh a quiet crowd i hate quiet crowds ok so next on that side of the equation we've got we've got the system changing we've got that kind of stuff what about packing it up and helping to get it onto the truck and that kind of stuff how does that apply so as part of this wall to wall fulfillment solution we now have the ability to pack and ship the product so we've deployed out our packing capability the few warehouses now and that's primarily used when they don't have the WMS currently doesn't support things like singles pack out, et cetera. So we will enhance the current WMS capabilities there. But we are integrated into the leading car the parcel carriers today. So we can actually print off the shipping labels and everything else directly. Or we integrate into the warehouse management system that may already have that integration in place. Yeah. Okay. But we don't currently load the trucks using the robots. That's right, still right. done. Yeah. But, there, but there are other providers out there that actually are working on that problem. Okay. Um, so, let's let's go back to the warehouse management system just for sure. a moment. And and in particular, what I'm trying to get my arms around is: Are you using their APIs? Are they using your APIs? Yeah. Uh, how how do you get that integration working? So it, there is an integration. Um, the customer oftentimes uses our standard integration. It's a it's a REST based API using JSON. It's HTTPS uh, protocol. Um, so uh, that's all standard. It's documented. They're happy to write to our API standard. About half of our sites deploy out that way. The other half of the sites we have to do some level of transformation in and doing some mapping. Uh, sometimes the customer will take that work on um, and again they'll just write to our standard or we'll do that for them because we've got an API framework in place where we can do the mapping, the translation and again, call our standard APIs. And, and those standard adapters, we have two layers there. We have standard adapters to support things like FTP um, and um, different uh, file formats like CSV and XML. Um, but oftentimes, uh, you know, we find ourselves writing very minimal transformation work. So. Okay. And, and a lot of the WMSs um, have been changed and modified, which leads to some of these challenges. So our customers are either very expert at how to do that on their own or they'll bring in a third party to help them with that work. Okay, so so I'm going to take I'm going to go to that funny spot for a moment. Sure. So you're at the dining room table, and there are three of you. Okay. Yeah. And and are there three co-CEOs or are there two co-CEOs? So the the smartest of the three of us uh, is the CTO. He's the chief technology officer. Um, and that's Chris. That's Chris. Chris okay. Cassiopo. and um, he just had a baby, so unfortunately he's not here today. Uh, or he didn't have the baby, his wife had the baby, but regardless. Um, and then uh, Ryland Hamilton and I share uh, CEO responsibilities. So. Okay, okay. So, so Shopify bought you before that. Were you self-funded, were yep. you? We were venture-backed, um, so we had raised money from some of the leading investors, um, and uh, we're doing quite well, growing very rapidly. Um, and Shopify was interested in making an investment, and one thing led to another, and they uh, bought the company in September of last year. So. And I'm sorry, let's go back to the Shopify relationship. Sure. What's the integration there? So we are an independently uh, run business unit within Shopify, so we're Six River Systems LLC, uh, an, a Shopify company, um, but we make our own direction and decisions with respect to our roadmap and our investments. Shopify uh, is our new new board members, we report back up to Shopify. They are a publicly traded company, so we provide them our financials quarterly basis. 
uh, and keep them updated on in terms of roadmap developments, customer acquisition, those types of things. So very much a hands-off approach. Um, they very much like what we're doing in the fulfillment space and are big believers in the mission that Rylan and I started the company with, with Chris, back in 2015, and are helping us accelerate that, that development, that roadmap. Okay. I'm going to get off my butt right now and, and probe the audience, but okay. uh, while I'm doing that, uh, earlier you mentioned, though, that you're helping Shopify, um, in effect, be an Amazon competitor. Can you talk about how that works? I would say uh, Amazon competitor is probably a strong word, but certainly we want to provide alternatives. Um, you know, Shopify's got over a million merchants using their platform today, and many of those merchants are too small uh, to get fulfillment contracted out effectively. So providing aggregation capability and uh, sourcing that uh, those orders out to other third-party logistics providers uh, using Six River as the fulfillment technology to be uh, able to do that. Okay, this is always the spot where it's scary. Okay. okay. So, audience, how many of you actually have warehouses? Raise your hands. <laughs> oh, this is bad news. Okay, so uh, for those of us who don't know about warehousing, where does, it, where does the convergence happen between the actual production, the supply chain stuff? How do you guys basically see that back to that WMS system, there's other systems behind that. Of course there are, yeah. So many of our customers are vertically integrated manufacturers. Um, uh, a few of them uh, work in the electrical uh, space, industrial products. So they manufacture their own product, distribute that, uh, and they'll manufacture overseas or even domestically. That manufacturing, then uh, those deliveries happen to a distribution center and those distribution centers or warehouses are responsible for sending that that those products out to retail, for in consumer, et cetera. Um, we, we almost always integrate into a warehouse management system, but clearly there are manufacturing systems in the background. The warehouse management system is kind of our relay back into the ERP systems that are essentially the backbone of those companies. Um, but we are not, we, we very rarely interface with the ERP systems directly, so. Okay. And you told how much the productivity goes into it. What about the ROI issues? Where do the people? Yeah, so you know we uh, are proud to say that most of our customers realize less than a two-year payback. So we generally see something on the order of 12 to 18 months, depending on the number of shifts that they're operating in their warehouse. If they're a single shift operation, generally it's something like an 18-month payback. If it's a two-shift operation, they'll see like nine months to a year, um, which is really, really good in this industry, generally speaking. If you're putting in any sort of automation, your investment horizon is between three and seven years, with some of these big projects being like 10-year paybacks. So when you can get like 50 to 100% improvement in productivity on a one-year payback, that's really exciting for people to see. Okay. Okay. And, and just out of curiosity, has there ever been a situation where working with you has actually added to the personnel? Uh, no. I mean, that's not th – that, that uh, where it will actually add is when you're growing – Right, so one of the challenges for our customers is that they continue to grow at say 50, 60, 70, 100% a year. Their businesses are growing, you know, fast moving businesses. So they're gonna continue to add personnel, but they're not adding as many personnel as they would have if they weren't using our system. So. Okay, one last chance for questions from the audience. Aha, two. Uh, what, what percentage would you say of your customers are 3PLs versus non-3PLs? Roughly about 50-50. So we've got about 30 or so customer logos. 15 of them are 3PLs and everybody else is 
retail, distribution, uh, you know, service parts, that kind of thing. Two quick questions. One, um, are you integrating with all WMSs right now? And yes. you have success stories with all the big ones. Um, and, and two, um, roughly what, what's the average company size that you're going after? Obviously, you're Great questions. after the same ones as, as Amazon. So what yeah. kind of that Very range that you're going after revenue-wise? Or, or Very good. So uh, on the WMS side, uh, we've integrated, I would say, at least a dozen different WMSs at this point. Uh, probably even more than that. Um, you know, we've done all the big ones: Manhattan, High Jump, Red Prairie, um, Blue, Blue Yonder. Um, uh, we've even done like Infor, uh, Exceed, um, and JD Edwards, Oracle, um, and then a bunch of custom ones, right? So there's a lot of custom WMSs out there. So we'll do those integrations. Um, and with respect to our customer base, that's a very good question. Some of our customers are the largest companies in the world, like literally the two largest companies in the world. But then we have customers that you've never heard of. They're like five or $10 million companies. Um, and that's really the exciting part of our technology is that it can be applied um, and it doesn't matter what the problem, like how big you are, it's still a very effective solution. Um, but we've got customers, I would say our sweet spot is kind of the mid-tier 100 to a billion dollar customer. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, we've done a number of uh, deployments for companies between, I would say, like 50 to $200 million. Um, those are folks that are often left behind in the technology space because it's too expensive or it's too confusing. They don't know what to do. They don't want to take on a big project. That's where technologies like ours come in. So, great questions. Okay. Let's ask the question I should have asked. What okay. should I have asked that I didn't ask? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. How many people in the company right That's now? A, uh, very good. Um, so we're at about 170 people right now. Um, our offices are based just outside of Boston in Waltham, Massachusetts. Um, but we've got um, folks throughout the world. We've got a regional office in Europe, in Frankfurt. We've got about a half dozen folks there. We've got offices, uh, small offices in Chicago, here in Atlanta, uh, and out in the West Coast as well. Okay. So how many employees? I'm sorry, not employees. What? Can you tell the revenue, given the fact you're part of a public? Yeah, we're part of yeah we're part of a public traded company at this point. But you know, prior to the acquisition, we were less than you know, 35 million in revenue. So. Okay, cool. I think that's it, kiddo. I really. It, this is how people reach you. Is that okay? Uh, it's actually Jerome at not Dubois, but Jerome at Six River uh, so. My mistake. I that's will fine. fix that. That's totally fine. So. All right. I should have done that. I don't know. I must have been sleeping at the time. Okay. Anyway, please give him a round of applause. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. We got to do the the elbow tap. Yeah. There we go.